Welcome to the Strictly Personal Podcast. I'm J.P. Batten, your host. Well, it's been a year since we began the show, and what started out as a, a way to just pass some time during the pandemic, a way to have some shits and giggles, I guess, uh, became and has become an interesting journey. I've had now some 20 guests over the past year, and all of them have been very interesting and have had some amazing stories to tell. Someone asked me recently which one of those is my favorite, and I really didn't have an answer. Uh, they're all they're all special, uh, but the best answer I could give is probably one that my daughter gave me when I asked her what is her favorite song, and her reply was, "The next one." Bree Taylor was my first guest here on uh, Strictly Personal. Uh, she's a singer songwriter, and we'll have her back uh, during the Volume Two edition. She's wrapped up uh, her 2020 uh, single "Burning Bridges" and has had some great airplay with CBC Country. And she's got more going on, and she's about to release a new single, so we'll catch up with her on the next podcast. Today, however, marks the end of Volume 1, and we're going to catch up with a very special guest, Gordon Gibb. Gord is coming off of, uh, coming up on 50 years in the radio industry. He's having way too much fun to even consider retirement. He's evolving his business and his media uh, in many different ways, and we'll catch up with how he's doing that. Uh, Gord's not only a good friend and colleague of my dad's, but he's a fan as well, as you'll hear. Well, let's get started. All of the commentary is strictly personal, and let's listen in on John Batten and Gordon Gibb. Officially, it's 7.10 this morning. Peterborough declared a state of emergency, and all their emergency systems have been put into place. Right. And uh, unfortunately, we find out it's working. It's one of those things... You never hope you have to uh, that's right. invoke it, but it, that's why it's there. You know, you're going to hear the strangest stories going on, and there's no sense. Guy's sitting out here on the bus. He's sitting out here on the bus bench that no, right beside you there, Gordon. Just to uh, review this ad nauseum, and we sound like a broken record, but it's uh, certainly something that we need to talk about, and we're going to be talking about it as much as we can and as often as we can, as long as we can, and that is that uh, we have some severe flooding. I just spoke to the mayor, yeah. Sylvia Sutherland. And moments ago, the city has declared a state of emergency. This is the full state of emergency in the city of Peterborough. Drinking water is okay. Uh, but we've got to be very concerned about the wastewater system. Yes. So don't be flushing anything you have to. Stay out of your basements. Uh, you got a basement that's flooded. Nobody is going to be able to do anything for you right now. Yeah. And our fire officials and emergency vehicles are working unbelievably to uh, rescue people who are stranded in vehicles like three and four vehicles that's up to windshields or almost you know up to the door in some areas yeah absolutely yeah. office buildings have been flooded all this area in here where we are gore the water is pouring out of the buildings i don't know where it's coming from but yeah. you can see it coming out there's concern that roof at Loblaws and Lansdowne is uh, pretty shaky. Uh, Lock 19, I paid a visit to that uh, about a half hour ago. It is just crazy down there, but I'm told by Mike that it's not uh, the worst he's ever seen. The situation on Little Lake should improve over the next, they're saying, 24 hours. Uh, after that, they will be you know, opening up the valves on Lock 20, which will be allowing the water to move through the system and if you've seen little lake this morning it is a crazy situation all right thanks very much lisa we'll check in again later paul gord how are you i'm well sir how are you <laughs> i'm doing okay 
All right. Yeah, so uh, it's good to reconnect. I haven't, uh, I guess, I'm trying to think of the last time that I talked to you. I think it would have been the, the Walk of Fame, I think it was. Yeah, the Pathway of Fame. Pathway, when, yeah. When, when your dad was inducted a few years ago, and uh, there was a nice little luncheon downstairs at Showplace afterwards, and uh, I think we connected there briefly. Right. Yeah, I think uh, that would have been the last time I saw you, but uh, I've sort of followed you a little bit on uh, Facebook, so I kind of know you've been active and doing things. And So are you still running a radio show then? you pretty active? Yeah, I do um, an internet show called, um, it's an internet station called Your Kawartha Oldies, which is also known as the Fantastic Kawartha Time Machine. And, and basically where it began, the genesis for it was, when we, our radio station in Peterborough changed format away from oldies several years ago. And there was a, a void in the market. And I thought, well, I'm going to fill that and I'm going to put all that music on online and, and see, see what I do with it. It's become a hobby. Um, but what has legitimized it to my mind is I found a place to archive and to share audio archives of, of this area's broadcast history. It's not unlike what Graham Hart used to do on Czech television for right. with the flashback show on video. I'm doing the same thing with audio and I'm... Okay, I'm so that, that would explain some of, the, some of the stuff that you've posted, uh, even with some of Dad's older stuff with Mike Melnick and so on. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and I go back even farther than that. I've got an old uh, Walter Pitt, Pittman uh, election ad from 1961 before the federal election that year. I've got uh, Bobby Orr when he was still an Oshawa general. Wow. Doing a, a commercial, I think, for Ostrander's Jewelers locally. He had some <laughs> connection with, uh, with, with, with the proprietor. And so there he is, just, uh, just a young whip at the time. And all these things would ordinarily be in a box, just gathering dust. And, you know, I thought if I'm running an oldies format online, what better way to augment that but to present and remind people of, of some classic audio archives that I've unearthed over the years uh, from this region's broadcast history and that includes of course Peterborough as well as uh, Lindsay so I, some, uh, it's a really cool cool finds. so I, I, I understand that you are born and raised in Peterborough not born and raised, but almost. I've been here since I was 19. So okay. I, I feel that after 40 <laughs> some odd years, I'm just off probation now. <laughs> because there are so many people who have been born and, and raised here. Uh, Gary Dalladay among them. You know, he was right. a giver of boy. Pete Dalladay, of course, is doing the, the morning show now. And uh, Ed Arnold from the, the longtime editor of The Examiner, he was born and raised here. So many people. And so when you have a town... And a city like this, which is a city, and it's a, a very eclectic city. It's a university town. You've got some great theater, great arts, fantastic music. But it also still has that small town feel. And there's so many people who have never known any other home except Peterborough. That, so when you come from afar, it takes you a while to be right. almost accepted as one. You know, it's, okay, I've been here 30 years. I think I'm off probation now. You know? Yeah, well, we always used to use the phrase, are you an import or <laughs> like you're imported or you're born and bred? But, yeah, uh, exactly. So where were you originally from then? Originally from Scarborough. Um, that's where I was okay. born in Toronto. And so we not far away. Scarborough until I was uh, uh, 10 or 11. And then the family went U.S., down to the U.S. Um, my dad got oh. a green card. Okay. And we lived in um, 
Florida for uh, for a while for a few years off and on. That's interesting. Um, and then wound up in Lindsay, and that's that's where I got on the radio. Wow, so I was, was going to ask you. So where did the where did the pathway lead you to get into radio then? Well, I was I was in high school at LCBI in Lindsay, and uh, that school is across the road from the lone radio station in town. And there happened to be a fellow amongst our student body who was a few grades higher than me, and he worked there part time. And so he got together an extracurricular. Uh, club called the the radio club and what we would do is is we would uh, write and rehearse a, a 15 minute radio show that we would do every sunday at the radio station so that sort of got me in the door and that whetted my appetite for that kind of stuff and wound up uh, working an election one night uh in the newsroom and then from there got a couple of part-time shifts and Never left. Never left after that, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So you've been in radio now how long? Oh, boy. Um, it's been a while. Well, since I was 15, I turned 64 in, in June. So almost 50 years, uh, and many of those years here. I think I'm in my 45th year now. Yeah, yeah. Well, you get like a 50th year anniversary maybe coming up soon. <laughs> yeah, in the industry anyway. Yeah, for me, yeah. yeah. that's kind of neat. Oh, good for you. That's great. I mean, uh, I know that, uh, you know, that when I guess dad came to Peterborough, it would have been 1987. Yeah. And uh, would have been at uh, Checks. And uh, I think you guys connected there, or was it at Cruise Radio? No, it, it was at Checks. As a matter of yeah. fact, uh, when, when we got the word that uh, John was coming, and he was, uh, he was up in Ottawa, I believe, at the time, he and Dot. And, um, of course, it was really cool to get to, you know, when, when um, Jack Ruddle first uh, arrived from CTV. And it was so sad to hear that he had passed away, passed away a few weeks ago and, and uh, from a blood clot, I believe. But he, he was mm-hmm. just a, a great guy. Uh, everybody loved him. But he, here's this big network guy now running the show in Peterborough. And then he brings Wally Maud in. And I grew up watching Wally Mott on CTV. And then we get word that John Batten's coming. And of course, I'm sure it's it's an oft-described story that everybody has grown up listening to John, whether that be listening to uh, to football, uh, you know, the, uh, the Argos on CFRB or CFTR. That's where I used to listen to and do the sports. Um, and, and the CBC, you know, covering the Olympics. We've all grown up with him, and he had such a a presence. His his voice and his delivery just filled the room. It didn't matter what size room it was; he filled it. And then to find out that he was coming uh, to Peterborough was wow. You know how about that? And I pulled the assignment to call him at their house, at the house up in Ottawa, to get a promo from him. So. You know, yeah. okay, they gave me the number, so I, I called, and John answered the phone with his, uh, <laughs> hello, you know. <laughs> I said, hi, I'm, you know, I'm so-and-so from uh, from Checks, and, and you're coming to work with us, isn't that cool? And could you do, like, a, a quick um, a quick promo, like, uh, okay, you know, yeah. I'm John Batham, and I'm coming to Peterborough. I'm looking forward to joining the team, you know, doing the news, and, and, and becoming an integral part of the community. And uh, he was... He, he did it in one take, his, what he 
what he always does now. I'm sure he had lived it too. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was my intro to John. And then at the time, I was doing mornings at Czech. So this is before Mike Melnick. I was John's first partner, broadcast partner. Okay. So I was doing early mornings when he first joined the staff. And I can't recall how long that lasted. But at some point, I went back into management. I had been program director for a while and then uh, stepped away and then uh, was persuaded to go back to it. So I was back in the office. And I think that is, I think that's before Melnick's time. I think there was another fellow who was doing the show along with John. And this would have been before The Wolf and this would have been before the change to uh, Cruise. Yeah, there was a few. There was a few moving parts back then, so it was hard to tr- sort of keep it all in, in, in yeah, you know, timed and tracked. Yeah, but, exactly. Uh, I, I do remember one really interesting story is that um, John would do uh, the news his way, which is thorough. You know, <laughs> and, 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 as you know, your dad is, was so well read. He voracious reader and he was so informed on absolutely everything right. and he would have a script in front of him that you know maybe would take anybody else maybe 30 seconds or, or less to read it would, he would you know extend that into a, a minute and a half <laughs> because he would he would add to it he, he would ad lift through it he would uh, you know yeah, not yeah. go off on a tangent but he would he would embellish it with more information it just made it much more compelling but that would elongate the newscast to the point where a, <laughs> a newscast package that was designed for three minutes was going for ten <laughs> I, you, know, I you know I'm laughing because I kind of remember some of that uh, the banter anyways go ahead <laughs> oh yeah so anyway at some point it came someone came to me saying look you know we have to do something about this because we are a music intensive radio station this was on AM by the way but back at, in the day uh, AM was still a music uh, format so you know we, we have to talk to John about that it's just going way too long um, so I went to Wally and had a chat with Wally about it and Wally said well I'll talk to John and um, and look at this straight note oh okay thanks and so I went on my merry way well then I got word that John had asked for a meeting <laughs> so so here I am in, in my office you know this this, this young kid from um, you know like this is only my, my second radio station I've been here forever uh, not very experienced and uh, two guys I grew up watching and listening uh, Wally Mott and John Badham come and sit before me uh, at my desk and I forget who, who spoke first but there was some suggestion that somebody had said that John was being unprofessional by going too long <laughs> on newscast. <laughs> I don't think it was me, but somehow it may have been interpreted that way, and that was the the suggested reaction that uh, you know I'm thinking that he's unprofessional, so you know, can you, can you substantiate that? Like, what is, what is the issue? So I, I explained it to him, you know, and, and um, he said, well, okay, so how long is the newscast supposed to be? <laughs> Three minutes. That's all in. So it's your intro, the newscast. Um, I don't think there was a spot, a commercial in between. It was just a, a three-minute yeah. pack. So yeah. uh, intro, news, sports, weather, extra, three minutes. 
He said, okay. Now, if, if they put me on late, do I get to make up that time? I said, well, of course. You know, it, it's our responsibility to get you on time. And if you're on on time, then, you know, that's the plan is to do three minutes. Okay. <laughs> he, was, he, he was very polite, but very, you know, yeah. rough and firm, you know, and... and uh, yeah, oh, yeah. I'm shaking my boots, you know. Yeah, um, he, yeah, I do recall something about the, him running long with his uh, with his uh, news reports, and somehow that was a uh, being questioned at some point. I remember him grumbling at home at one point about that. But <laughs> yeah, I, I think that happened a few times. But in this particular instance, um, I went home that night and still upset with the whole thing because uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I couldn't imagine in my wildest dreams sitting there debating this subject with with two of my idols in broadcasting you know and i'm the guy who's uh, coming down on them like oh my goodness why am i here so the next morning i'm at home and i'm listening and he comes on at six o'clock just hell's a fire you know <laughs> he, he he came in there was not a, a, an ad-lib word he stuck right to script he just rolled through that the news yeah. Sports, the I, weather I, said goodbye, <laughs> and he finished up at two minutes and fifty-eight seconds. <laughs> that would be him, yeah. <laughs> and I just knew that he was thinking when he killed the mic. There, yeah. there you go. There you go, young punk. <laughs> <laughs> well, but uh, you know, I, I will always remember the, the first newscast that he did the first day that he uh, arrived. I was still doing mornings then, and I drove home. And when it was time for the noon newscast, I pulled over and listened. And just to hear that voice tumble out of the radio and fill the car, it was magnificent. And the thing about John, as you know, is he had, he had the voice, he had the pipes, and it was, it was a voice that filled a room. But together with that was the way he read. He didn't read the news, he told the news. And his pacing, his timing, whether he was doing a newscast or a sportscast or calling a football game, it was absolutely impeccable. Yeah, and that combination, I have never heard anywhere else. Yeah, he was one of a kind. Those are kind he really Yeah, no, he's, yeah, he was obviously our father, but uh, we, we, we were fans as well. So yeah. We would often, uh, especially in the early days of football, we would, turn the sound down on the TV, put the radio on, because if he wasn't doing the television broadcast and then he was doing the radio, we would much rather hear him call the game. Oh, exactly. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, those are kind words. Thank you. I was going to ask you... Oh, oh, you go ahead. Yeah. No, I was going to ask you about the Pathway of Fame, because you're you're fairly instrumental in that, or how did that all come about? I'm a member of the Pathway of Fame uh, board of directors now. I I, I can't recall if, if, if I was... If I was there, uh, I don't think I was part of it then, um, but I, I was aware that he was he was going in, that he had been nominated, which, of course, I was a fan of. I, I was hoping that, that, that he would go in before his demise, um, because he deserved to be, because he, he became such a, an integral part of the community. Um, but... Um, no, I didn't have anything to do with that beyond okay. you know talking to your mom a few times about um, about the remarks and, and the realization that there's a time limit on those. 
uh, on the acceptance speeches. Oh, yeah, and yeah. Be, yeah. Um, it's, it's telecast by the local cable television uh, station, and they have their, their program parameters they have to stick within. You know, like the newscast got to be such a length, and so they've got to get this show in in such a, a, a period of time. And so the pathway required speeches to be no more than two or three minutes tops. And yeah. then they would ring the bell. And I, I understood that. It's hard for the person giving the acceptance speech, in this case it was your mom on behalf of your dad, because this is a proud moment. It's an absolutely proud, proud moment. And there, there's so much you want to say, so many people you want to thank, some anecdotes you want to share, and there just isn't time. I, I tried to, to help Doc uh, craft it into a succinct way so she wouldn't get rung by the bell, yeah, yeah. as everybody does. No, I'd like to say I had a hand in that, but I didn't, but mm-hmm. I sure agreed with it. He, he deserved well, we appreciate to be, your, to be. your help and input on it, and certainly, uh, I think it's a great idea. It's uh, whoever put it together and came up with it, I think it's outstanding. I mean, it's just really, I'm walking through there, I had no idea it even, even was set up until Dad got uh, nominated to go in, but uh, yeah, that was quite, uh, it was very special. Yeah. yeah. Um, I wanted to ask you, I know that uh, you've uh, written a book recently, um, now I think it's called the, the Fifth Season? The Fifth Season, yes. So tell, tell me about that, Gordon, i got to tell you, I tried to get your book and it sold out. Well, at least around here it is. At, cha- oh. at Chapters, I couldn't get a copy, so just to, oh. to let you know. But I tried to get a copy uh, to take a look at it, but maybe... Um, so I'm going to have to now uh, ask you to tell me a, a little bit about it, because <laughs> I haven't read well, it yet. The, the, best, the best way to grab a copy is just to grab one from, from Amazon. I know that uh, okay. Chapters carries it locally. I'm not sure if it's anywhere else yet, but um, I, I'd love it to be uh, in bricks-and-mortar stores uh, elsewhere. And maybe one day it will, but... Basically, the, the story, uh, the genesis of it was we have a park behind our house. And a, a neighbor of ours for the past three decades has been flooding a rink in the park, an outdoor rink, a fabulous rink. Okay, rink now, now, now don't, is this over by Stenson? Is it in that area? Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's where I used to live over there. Okay, exactly. go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. I'll come back to that. Absolutely. So... I go out there one, one day, it's the crack of dawn, and it, there, there had been a flood the night before, so I had the whole rink to myself. I put the blades on, and I'm skating around, and just the perfect uh, perfect time. You know, the, the ice was like glass. The sun was just coming up. Uh, it was absolutely still. You could hear the, the crack of my blades ricochet off of tree line, which is just uh, to the, the north of the park. Yeah. It was just a magical experience. And... As I was skating, I was thinking about this entity, which is this outdoor rink that is, you know, a characteristic of every neighborhood and every place in the world cold enough to support one, whether it be the U.S. or, or, or here or, or, or Russia or wherever it is. It's, it's an iconic part of our heritage where people have grown up learning to skate. The Wayne Gretzky and, and the rink that Walter put in in yeah. the front yard for, for Wayne back when he was a kid, that kind of thing. And I suddenly got thinking that this ice rink, this outdoor ice rink, if, if it were like a living thing, if it, was a, if it were a character like 
Santa Claus. It comes once a year, you know, for a night. And he's been doing it for generations. And the stories he could tell, you know, if, if, if this ice rink had a voice, and if this ice rink had a connection to every single man, woman, child uh, that learned to skate under its watch, what stories would it have? And that's where the idea for the book came from. Okay. I tried to figure out a way of turning the, the ice rink into a character, and I found a way to do it. Okay. I couldn't use the ice rink as a, as a narrator because it just wouldn't, um, it wouldn't sustain throughout the whole book. So I had the... I gave the ice rink a voice, and it, it sort of sneaks in throughout the book from time to time and says its piece in its own unique way and then leaves again. And then the remainder of the characters that I created to support the story carries the story forth. And the, the, the key character basically is a, a young fellow named Simon who has Down syndrome. And he moves into the neighborhood, and, and uh, he's eight when he arrives. Mm-hmm. And the next-door neighbor, whose name is uh, uh, Tim, is also the same age. And they, uh, they are fast friends. And Simon has always been enamored with the figure skating that he sees on television. He'd like to be in the Olympics one day. And so his goal is to learn how to skate. But, of course, you know, with many children afflicted with uh, Down syndrome, it's, it's you know, their, their, their function, their, their, their body muscular, uh, what's the word I'm trying well, to Coordination, say? I guess. Their coordination, thank you, yeah. It's, it's less to be desired. Their, their, their balance is affected. There, there are many, many things that get in the way. And there are so many challenges to his, his dream, but he was bound and bent to make it happen. And the community of Balsam Shores, which is what the, um, the, the small town city, which would remind you a lot of Peterborough, it's, they get behind him and, and they help him with his, uh, with his dream. And, it, and there's various characters that um, come and go in the story. Very and, interesting. And such. But it's, it's, not, it's not about hockey per se, although it does uh, have um, its genesis and it, it lives on the rink. It's a very Canadian story that way. But um, it's got some twists and, and turns in it. And um, So it's called the fifth season. And now, 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 this is interesting because now I'm, I'm really intrigued because I have a connection to this. The uh, place on Stenson, I lived there for, I think, only maybe, well, let's say two winters. Right. And I would have... My son would have been probably, my son and daughter would have been just around the age of, you know, seven, six in there. And this would have been their first time I put them on skates and on ice. And it would have been that rink because that was across the street and over a little bit into the park. That's right. If it's the same rink I'm thinking of. It is the same rink, yeah. And the one neighbor that lived behind there, he'd always flood it. He put it together every year, and he did a heck of a job. And, yeah, he did. And, uh, my God, we had the best, I mean, the best hockey. Of, and I'm not talking, there was no big nets. We just had a, a, a couple of uh, wooden posts that we put on the, or blocks on the ice. And kids would come from all over. And all walks of life, all skill levels, everything, and everybody would just go, and we would play for hours. And this was a, 
this was so exciting for me, not only to just be out playing and skating myself, but to have my kids out there mm-hmm. and have and get, have them enjoy it and have fun. And that was my son's interest, uh, first time getting a real interest in playing hockey. Yeah. And so that rink, had it not been for that rink, I don't know where I would have got him going at that stage because uh, it was so convenient. And it was just, it was just, like it was a pretty good rink and it was well maintained. Yeah, and he's he's still doing it too to this day. Now, mind That's you, he's amazing. A, a, he's he's slowing down a bit now because he's retired, and uh, I think uh, there's going to be uh, some more help for him as uh, time goes on. But uh, I had the honor of um, of uh, dedicating the book to him uh, be, because okay. of his, um, his his service with uh, with, with the rink, and uh, yeah, it's you know one of those things that is such an integral part of this neighborhood and, and and every neighborhood you know um it, it's it's a story that can be told in so many places well i mean there's people that build rinks in their backyard and there's people that uh, go and play in community outdoor rinks but this is kind of special because this isn't necessarily done by the city this is somebody that's doing this for the neighborhood he's doing this for right. for for everybody he puts his his, uh, you know, sweat equity into all that, and it just is amazing that he do- and he's still doing it to this day, which is amazing. Mm-hmm. That is something. Wow! And I, so yeah. I had no idea that's what the book was about, but that's got me more intrigued now that I've heard that. Yeah, well, the, good for you. The, well, thank you. Uh, the fellow who looks after the rink in the book is uh, is someone that he's a he's a grizzled old maritimer that, that's been transplanted oh, from yeah. the east coast, and uh, he. He might remind you of uh, if you had a cross between Roger Nielsen and a pirate, you get this guy. <laughs> All right, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think my I think my dad met him, uh, and he seemed to he spoke of him a few times, and I know I never actually met him when I was over there, but uh, he I think he he'd be up late at night or early in the mornings when he would be out there doing the maintenance on it, so I never really saw him, but uh, uh, I'd heard that he'd done all the work and put the whole thing together and uh yeah i know my dad was quite uh, quite uh, thrilled about it that he was doing all that so uh, good that's great that's fantastic so yeah what a great idea to talk about that so i don't know if you i'm sure i know you have kids but i don't know the extent of your family what uh, what does that look like well i've got uh, i've got four uh children uh, two from a previous uh marriage uh, i was uh, i was widowed and um and then oh, i have two more with, with my with my current okay. uh, wife uh, sherry and they range in age from i started very early um my oldest will turn forty six actually he t- he turned forty six in april so he's forty six now okay and wow. uh, my young my youngest is twenty five Okay, yeah, that's quite a range, yeah. So yeah. Uh, did, any, did any of the kids uh, play hockey? Did they play sports? or? Yeah, when they were younger, they did. Um, my, my two um, oldest uh, boys, and that uh, they played hockey for, for a time. My oldest was, um, was a goalie, and he, he loved playing goal. He would, he would practice in the basement of, of our place. We, we, had a, we had a basement room where, where it was basically all cement block, and he would... Uh, practice by the hour um like throwing a ball at the at the wall and and trapping it and, and such oh. <laughs> and, and he and i remember there was one um game that he played where 
it was such a lopsided score. And I'm trying to remember how the story goes now, but he was he was in net, and the team lost. And I think the I think the score was um, like thirty five to two because there was a <laughs> team that was several levels above them. Oh my them. goodness! Yeah. But I said, Jay, I mean, hold your head high because there was something like a hundred shots on net, and he saved the majority of them. That's but right. He just couldn't get the, the last thirty two. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, the, both both boys played. And they never really pursued it into their adult life. And, and mm-hmm. my youngest son was more in, into um, solitary sports, such as uh, uh, snowboarding. Okay, and yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah, he didn't really pick up on hockey too much. So now I know with the hockey, I know that uh, Gary Dalladay had done a lot of the Pete's games. But did you not do the call for? You know the PA announcer when when the games yeah. are on. Yeah, in the in the arena actually, and I'm still doing that. Are you still doing it? Okay. Yeah, because there hasn't been a season because of COVID. The last uh, game that we played was um, last March, a year ago, March when they had to shut the, the league down because of COVID. But um, I'm still doing it, and oddly enough, and here's another connection that your dad and I have. Uh, I took over from your dad um, in in that portfolio. Um, I remember when we got the broadcast contract for the Pete's right. after the, the other station in town had, had it for so long. And we had first rights to provide the PA announcer. And so our GM at the time uh, went to John because of you know John's background in sports and, and things. And, well, you know, would you be interested in, in, in doing that? And he said, yeah, I'll sure I'll give it a go and so he does a few games <laughs> and then uh, realizes at least the, the you know how I understood it was he went back to management and said look this may not work out because I'm a newsman and I also do commentaries and I editorialize as you know I want to be in a position where if I think the peeps um, suck If if I think that I need to tell it like it is on the air, I can't be working for them too. That's a good point, actually. You know, it's just not right. It's not going to. Something's going to happen where, you know, I have to make a comment about it, and I need to be honest with my listeners in telling as I see it. And if I'm working for them too, it just it's just it's just not a good fit. So they came to me and, and, and said, um, you know, John can't, um, can't carry on in this role. Can you, can you take over at least, you know, for a couple of games until we figure this out? And I've never done it before. I don't know if John had, but I hadn't. Uh, so I went to a game. I think I went to his last game and sort of watched and listened to what he did and then tried to emulate it uh, beyond that. But it was only supposed to be for a couple of games. And it's, been 24 years now. That's going to say, yeah. Wow, isn't that something? Eh? How, how I'm things still waiting kinda... for my replacement. <laughs> yeah, how things come about. That is amazing. I, I've always thought that would be fun to do, is that it's to call be the PA announcer. I listen to some of the creative styles people use when announcing, like some of the, with the baseball and the Blue Jays and stuff like that. I, um, you know, and then when someone scores a goal, I always think that would be fun to do, sort of create almost a bit of a a character with it, but anyways, I I think it's kind of neat to do that. Yeah, and 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 
it, it often comes down to that where everybody on their own, it seems, uh, comes up with their own shtick, their own style, you know, yeah. and, and, and some go overboard and, and, <laughs> and with others it's very subtle. I try to, you know, come in the middle. I don't, I don't want to, I'm not the game. Uh, people aren't yeah, coming to the arena to be here to hear me. Yeah, you know, yeah. The, the hockey is the star, so I'm just there to support it. But I, you know, I have a couple things that I've um, that I do that I've developed over time, and it, it's it's my own thing. And the, whoever takes over for me will have their own thing too. But uh, speaking of things, it's kind of cool where I'm talking now to people who would come to the games as a kid, and now they're bringing their own kids to the game. Yeah, and I'm still the same guy in the arena. That's right. Yeah, because they'll identify with uh, with you being there for sure. Yeah, yeah, that is that's kind of neat. Yeah, now you're seeing that next generation, and and of course those people bringing their kids are going. You know, they're feeling pretty good about it because you're that familiarity to them. So exactly. Yeah, no, that's kind of neat. Yeah. Well, I uh, I know we don't have much going on with this COVID. I mean, the uh, we're. I guess the the Pete's aren't playing. There's no, what I mean. What is there anything going on in Peterborough? I guess it's on, like here, nothing much is going on. No, there's um, you know the, the Pete's uh, never did. Um, we're not able to to launch a, a season. Uh, they're hopeful for the longest time, but um, just when the province was about to sign off on a return to play model, that's when the the, the real uh, crap hit the fan, if you will, and things yeah. got really serious, and they had to back away from that. We're, we're hopeful that we'll have uh, a season come September, September, October, you know, once people get the, the jabs and, and the arms. Yeah. Um, but uh, no, there's, and, and the same thing with the lacrosse, too, there's we're hoping for a lacrosse. Such a big season. lacrosse town, yeah. I know, I know, but they they did, couldn't have a season last year, and then the year before they were stuck at the at the uh, Evanroot Center because the Memorial Center had to have the floor replaced, and so it, those crowds were much smaller. So it's been tough on the on the Lakers for the last number of years, and it's not looking good for this um, for this summer uh, because people may not be able to you know, travel um, to different venues depending upon where the hotspots are yeah so. i know it's just uh it's uh, one of these things right now where i'm optimistic thinking by june will still things will open up again but i don't know i mean it's just even if it does you still are you're always going to be like walking on glass figuring well what happens if there's this we got to shut her down again like a fourth wave or whatever it's uh yeah it's tough uh it's getting a little bit uh Dreary. It's getting tough. Uh, I think everybody's getting COVID fatigue, I guess they call it, but uh, we'll see what happens. Uh, I'm hoping the summer at least uh, allows us to get out and do a little bit more than what's going on now. Now well, that the nice know, weather is here. Yeah, and that's why I'm hopeful. Um, I, I think there was supposed to be a vote in the um, in, in the uh, Queen's Park about uh, whether or not to allow golf to open up. I know a lot of people are, are in support of that. Even some people from the Ontario Medical Association are saying, you know, it, it's outside. You're the safest place you can be outside. You know, adhere to the protocols. You know, uh, if you've got to force them going, just keep your distance. You know, do do the social distancing and, you know, wear masks if you're going to be any closer than that. But it, there is also people's mental health, and we need something to do to get our minds off of this pandemic that seems to be going on forever. And I know a lot of retired people who they golf every day, 
Yeah. And they're just going stir crazy now. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, yeah the the impact of this. Uh, I mean, they'll do the post mortem, I guess, at some point, and uh, it'll be very, very interesting to see at some point when we're in a position to look back and see how things yeah. uh, unfolded and got handled, and maybe we'll be better down the road for it. But who knows? But uh, so I how is? I do always wonder what John would have thought of this pandemic. <laughs> I, I wonder about my own dad's thoughts about it because I. I lost my dad a few years ago as well, and oh, so uh, it's—I I don't know. I, a part of me is thankful that he yeah. didn't have to deal with this because I don't think he would have been able to. Yeah, I don't know. I'm, I often think the same way. I just think I don't know whether my dad would have been able to manage it. I mean, maybe he would have, but I—he, boy, he would have a lot to say. I think. I think he would have been very vocal about all this, but. Uh, Hard to say, hard to say. I know. Just uh, you wish you could almost have a conversation, just to, just to even talk about it. But uh, so, are you set up working from home yourself, Gord? Like you have yeah. a studio at home, don't you? Yeah, I do. Yeah. I mean, look. Yeah, I've seen you. I've seen you post some pictures. I mean, it looks like quite the studio. It's it's grown. It's grown to be. Yeah. It was just. Uh, it was just a, a desk to begin with, and a couple <laughs> of little pieces, and it's just. Um, morphed into something bigger, but um, I, I've had this here for um, some some voiceover work I do uh, freelance, and then I got the internet station going, so yeah. I have all the things I need, and then when the company was looking to find ways to reduce numbers in the building, because all the salespeople left, all the administration uh, people left, it was just on-air people in the building, and they were trying to find ways to reduce the numbers even further. And I said, well, you know, I've got the stuff at my house. Just give me the, the gear I need from the, the station's uh, standpoint so I can connect with the stuff, so I can connect with the system, and I can do it from here. And well, that's it's, great. Been, it's been, uh, I'm on to my 14th month now. Wow. Here. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm here I am working off of this uh this garage band thing doing podcasts. I mean, you should be doing your own podcasts. Uh, you ever thought of doing those or you got those going yet? Or are you thinking well, about it? No, you know, um, my internet station is my podcast. It's sort of like a podcast in the guise of a, yeah, I uh, guess it would a radio be, yeah. format. So, so yeah. that's, that's what I do. If, if I come up with a, a podcast theme that would resonate with me and I, think would resonate with other people then i'll probably start one but yeah. probably not till i retire because I've, I've just got way too many things on the go right yeah. now so you've got all this on the go so what uh, what are you thinking in terms of retirement i mean how much like how many years down the road or do you think about it oh i don't know it, yeah I, i'm due if, if i went at 65 it would be next july so so a year uh this july i'd be uh walking down the road whether i do or not i'm not sure i still have to um, you know figure that out um i'm sure that i'll never really retire even if i do back away from from chorus i'll probably wind up uh, somewhere else doing you know part-time stuff on the weekends or 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 what have you who knows uh i might even be able to find a way to monetize the um the online station yeah. that I've got because I've got listeners all over the world now. I've got listeners in... So where, where would I go to find that, Gord? Uh, just Google uh, your Kawartha Oldies. Okay. So Kawartha Oldies, just Google it and it'll come up. Okay. 
And then it's just a, it's just a matter of just uh, following you, I guess. It's not much different than anything, I guess, eh? that's yeah, on social yeah. media. There's a, yeah, there's a Facebook page, and um, I do have an Instagram account, but <laughs> I still haven't figured out how to, how to work Instagram yet. I, I've, uh, Facebook I'm good with, but... Yeah, and then there's the, the, and now there's this TikTok thing going, and yeah. <laughs> that one there is a, is a very interesting. It's amazing how it's taken off, but but uh, you almost need a need a, a full time job to <laughs> exactly. do social media well, um, and I just I just don't have the time. You know, that's where people live on social media. I realize that, but I just. Uh, having trouble finding the hours in the day to do that you know you're right it it takes a a bit of time to sort of get your head around a lot of it and uh, work it and uh, make make it work for you is in another level as well so i was going to say one one a little bit of an anecdote about your dad is um i think we all were kind of in the same um aura when he first arrived when you when you have a guy like that who had that voice, you know, bigger than life. Um, and it, it, it's, it, it's almost a source, until you get to know the guy, of trepidation. Like, you know, what, what's this guy going to be like? I mean, he's this big <laughs> broadcaster, right? Uh, Aaron Davis, I remember uh, hearing the story um, when she found out that Mike Cooper yeah. was going to be joining the, the show at CHFI. And she thought, well, yeah, yeah, what's it going to be like uh, working with Mike Cooper? He's got, I mean, he's got this big voice and he's probably, you know, he's got a big ego to match and am I going to be able to work with him? What kind of person he is? Because he's got this big voice, right? And it seems to be a common um, thing that you approach someone whom you don't know who has that kind of quality is, what is it going to be like? They're probably prima donnas because they've got, you know, they've got the big voice. But as it turns out, uh, Cooper, who was the first morning man at, uh, at The Wolf, and yeah. I was his producer, so I got uh, to work with him one-on-one. He's a sweetie. I mean, he's just a blue-collar guy from Hamilton. Yeah. He's just a great guy. Yeah, He's just a great... And so was your dad. When you got to know him, he's just a small-town boy from Saskatchewan, you know? Yeah. And um, very unpretentious. He's interviewed all these people over the years from everybody from prime ministers to premiers to, you know, Will Chamberlain, for, for goodness sake. He's, <laughs> he's interviewed them all. And I remember many times in conversations with him, and we would see him and, and your mom socially over the years with the uh, the annual Yuletide pub crawl. Oh, that's right, our, yeah, yeah. Our neighborhood <laughs> do for, for many years. And that, that's where we really got to, to know him off hours. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where he was just, He's just a, a great. And the other thing too is that I'm not much of a dancer, and I don't think John is either. So, so you know, we would just sort of the four of us, Sherry uh, and myself, and Dot, and, and John would sort of find a table amongst ourselves and just sit there and chat for hours. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Um, but you know, we, we'd say, John, write a book about your career, about your life, the, the places you've been, the people you've talked to, the stories. And he was such a great storyteller. I mean, nobody could tell a, a joke better than your dad. Well, the timing was perfect. He, uh, yeah. The punchline was just dead on. It was fantastic. And, and, you know, his book would have been absolutely 
breathtaking. I, I know it. Well, my mom, my mom wanted you to write it. She wanted you to write the book. <laughs> I, I would have loved to have written it uh, had I had the opportunity. And I think, I, I think a lot of us just thought that, yeah. you know, John would uh, just he, he'd be he'd be around until we're we're ready to write that book with him, and then yeah, um, yeah. Tate played its hand. But uh, but you know, he, he was just he was just doing his job. I think he was he was glad to have the chance to do the job well, but. You know, as opinionated as he was, and as commanding as he was, he he was very unpretentious. He didn't he didn't believe his own press. Like he didn't, you know. He he. You see a lot of people with with a with a fraction of the talent your dad had, and they've got these massive egos. And you know, John was just just a just a regular guy. Once you got to know him. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's you it. know, but it's, it's it's that it's that big voice that that would often off put you in the beginning, like oh oh my goodness, what's going to be like? You know, he's he's probably unapproachable because because of, of of his ability, because of his talent. You know, but yeah. Well, we we miss uh, we miss the uh, the storytelling at the dinner table or after the meal is done and. And then something will prompt a conversation, and he'll jump into a story, and and he'll tend to conduct court for a while. And those were yeah. always great tales and great great stories. You mentioned the Wilt Chamberlain one. I I can't help when you mention that. I remember him telling that story, and I remember him telling the story about how he's waiting in this room to do an interview with Wilt Chamberlain, and he was obviously you know anxious and excited about it, you know, and. Uh, and he's the the door opened and he didn't see anybody walk in, and then he hears a voice and he looks up and it's Wilt Wilt Chamberlain's looking over the top of the door down at him, saying, <laughs> saying "Hello, John." But yeah, so it's just things like that that you you like to hear hear him talk about, and so lots of great stories. But I I appreciate I, uh, you sharing some of your memories. That's great. I remember the story, and I don't know if it's true or not, or if it's just a folklore. But uh, there's a story that he. For whatever reason, you know, uh, he had overslept or the alarm didn't go off <laughs> when he was doing the sports at, uh, at PR or RP or something. And, and so he had, he had to race to the station. On the way, he stops by a convenience store, grabs a, a star and the Globe and Mail, and, and he's got the sports section in front of him, finds a phone booth, you know, and, and, and calls the sports cast in, does it live over the phone, and didn't miss a beat. And I, again, I don't know if it's true or not, but I can see that, and he would pull that off. He oh, really would. I, I remember as a kid, I, I, it, it probably is, is definitely true. I mean, he, whenever he slept in, I would hear because I would be, I'd be in my bed, and I would hear the panic and the, you know, the rushing around and thumping up and down the stairs, and then him grabbing the phone, and I guess there was a device back then, you could unscrew the back of the phone off, and you could hook the wires in, and uh, he would, he would do his broadcast from the kitchen, (laughs) and of course, uh, yeah. Anyways, it'd be nobody would nobody would know about that, but we'd we'd know because we would hear it. But uh, it's quite something. But, oh, but I know that we're coming up to time, but there's, yeah. there's one memory of John I, I want to tell you, and that's the morning of the flood. Uh, Mike <laughs> Melnick was was off that day. He he had missed the, the flood two years before. There were 
two floods, one in 2002, one in 2004. They both happened on a day when Mike wasn't there and I was subbing for him. And uh, the big flood in 2004, I was working that day. And I come, I come in, I drowned my Jeep, and somehow got, um, got into the station. But we, at some point I was back outside and I looked towards the west, up by the, um, the, the red building where the health unit is now. And there's John, there's your dad, <laughs> standing under an overhang with his, uh, his pants rolled up. Uh, he's got his, his dress shoes on and black socks. Not, not unlike his summer attire of shorts, dress shoes and, and socks. black socks. Yeah. I know, yeah, that, that was his summer, his summer wear. But he was standing up there with a lunch that Dot had packed for him. <laughs> and he was, he was having a smoke, and he was, he, was, he was trying to figure out how the heck he was going to get into the, into the building. I mean, he'd long since um, dealt with the fact that we're in a major crisis here. Uh, he's seen you know, King Street, you couldn't see King Street because it was under four feet of water and it was running like a torrent. It was just, it was just bedlam, it was absolutely amazing. <laughs> but he was trying to figure out how to get, get into the station. And so we knew by then that you could get in from the back. So I went up and got him, and we walked around the back of the building where there wasn't any water. We, we went in through the back way. But, of course, the studio was full of water as well. Oh, yeah. It, a wonder that none of us got electrocuted because yeah. the people had their, their uh, PCs. They had their um, – our receptionist had her, her heater because she was always uh, cold on the floor plugged in yeah and it was underwater by then you know but we had we had a job to do and we didn't have phones we didn't even know if we were on the air but we you know we had the microphones the boards were still working so we tripped the mics and and did it assuming that people could hear us and that was quite the day and, yeah. and he, he just jumped in and 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 did what what john always does he did a magnificent job Along with the anecdotal stuff too, like he, you know, he he walked out, or he he looked out the window that he could see from his vantage point, and and, and there was there was a guy sitting on the park bench, waiting for the transit bus because he was going to work that wasn't going to be coming because the downtown was 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 yeah. completely flooded, but he come I'm going to work, and there was another person who was walking along fighting against the water trying the door of her office building, which was locked because, of course, there was no one there, but she, you know, she'd come into work. That's what you're supposed to do, right? It was funny to watch, and, of course, he would see this and <laughs> comment on it uh, in real time. Yeah. Uh, and and he, he was able to do that. He would, he would be able to switch from the seriousness of the crisis and crisis management and talking to the mayor and talking to the fire chief and in, interviewing everybody on cell phones, mind you, because the main phone system wasn't working. And then he could switch to that to describe anecdotally what he was seeing out the window, which tended to humanize it. Yeah, yeah. You know? <laughs> Isn't that something? Amazing man. Amazing man. Yeah. It was an honor to work with him and to call him a friend. Well, it was uh, people such as yourself, Gord, that made Peterborough home for him because he felt welcome there, and I know he, he that became his home. And uh, I know he moved there in 87. He'd been around a little bit. He was in B.C., Saskatchewan, Toronto, and uh, you know, Mississauga and what have you, but uh, it didn't take long before Peterborough became home uh, for him and my mom. So and then, yeah. so thanks to you and many others there, made it uh, home for them. 
and uh, so I appreciate the memories and the stories. So going out of the podcast, yeah, yeah, I always like you to pick the. I always end on a song, but uh, I mean, you must have so many favorites. But uh, here's your chance. <laughs> oh boy, yeah, I I do have a, a lot of favorites, but um, I remember I was listening to um, a previous episode of your podcast, and, and you you came into it with Super Tramp, right? Bloody well right. Yeah. What a great track. Yeah. What a great track. You know, we were talking with your dad once about, um, we, were, we were expanding the playlist of the, uh, the, the radio station. Yeah. Uh, to, to move it forward. And, and he, no one was more excited by that. As much as he loved the oldies, he was really excited by that. And he said, yeah, we'll be able to play Queen now. Yeah, yeah. And I said, Queen. <laughs> that was Queen. one of his favorites. Yeah. Oh yeah, they're, they're genius. Queen. So. Yeah, he was a Freddie Mercury fan. Yeah, absolutely. But you know what? I'm a bluegrass fan. So if you've got anything by Pure Prairie League, and the song is Amy, love Amy. it. Amy, Pure Prairie, Prairie League. Okay. Pure Prairie League. Uh, the song from back in the '70s called Amy. All right. It's a great little bluegrass track. All right, we'll uh, we'll dig that one out. Absolutely. If you find it, I'd love to go out on that one. Yeah, and then I did an Elvis show with him once. I took a microphone over to his house. Uh, your mom was there as well. <laughs> Is that right? I yeah. don't know this one. I did, uh, did an interview with him about his memories of um, Elvis and where he was when he first heard he had died and, and so on and so forth. And it was a great interview, but he... He stopped and he actually redid a part because there was a part in his story that Dot had a, a part in and he forgot to mention it. <laughs> and so without any prompting, he thought, I'm going to have to do that again because I left Dot out of it. I can't leave her out of it because she's part of the story. So we redid that part and he correctly brought Dot in uh, to be a part of the story. Oh. And again, that's the kind of guy he was, yeah. you know, he just, I'll have to ask her about that one. Stuff. Yeah. He's always remember that stuff. Well, that's great. Some good stories, good memories. I really appreciate you coming on, Gord. Well, thank you. It's been an honor to do this. Uh, your dad was um, someone I idolized as a broadcaster and uh, never thought I'd see the day when, when I had the chance to work with him. And then, as it turned out, he, he lived in the neighborhood for years. Uh, and, and we got to see him a lot. You know, he, you know, he'd drive by when I was weeding the front lawn. He'd stop and chat, you know, and, and he was a, he was a great uh, a great neighbor. Uh, you, uh, him and your mom, and uh, we miss him. Yeah. yeah. Well, I'm going to follow your Kawartha oldies. I'm going to hook up uh, on that, and I'm going to get a hold of the fifth season and uh, give it a read. And, uh, Thank you. Thank yeah. you. And if, 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 you do, um, if you do order from Amazon... Give a review. You know, let me know if you sure. liked it or, or hated it. That's it's okay either way. <laughs> I will <laughs> definitely do that, Gord. I really appreciate it. Okay, thanks, Gord. Appreciate it. Okay, thank you. Take care. Yeah, you too. Bye now. All right. Thanks for this. Bye for now. Stay.
once you've had your way And all the things you thought before Just faded in the gray Can you see That I don't know if it's you or if it's me If it's one of us, I'm sure we're both 